smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. John Aravosis here with Cliff Schechter. And our guest today, you can see at the bottom of the screen if you're watching us on YouTube, is uh, Dr. Craig Spencer, MD, MPH. I'm assuming that's, is that Master of Public Health or what is that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I had to think about it for a second. I was like, wait, what does that mean? Yeah, Master of Public Health. Uh, He's the Director of Global Health and Emergency Medicine at New York Presbyterian Columbia University Medical Center. Uh, In English, that means he's an ER doc. Uh, He currently divides his time between providing clinical care in New York and working internationally in public health. He's on the board of directors of the U.S. branch of Doctors Without Borders. And uh, we wanted Craig on today because he's been talking a lot about uh, coronavirus, specifically what he and everybody went through in New York City. Uh, dealing with the crisis there as an ER doc, which I thought was really interesting. Mostly and because he doesn't just think it will disappear like magic. Well, um, we're going to so find out, will we? Therefore, <laughs> how do you be, know? Exactly. That's true. He'd be the, but, if he, but at least if he said it would, I would believe there was exactly. science behind it. So, so yeah, he's an expert is what we're getting at. Thank you but for our, confidence. But, our claim, but your claim, to fit, besides the fact that I think you actually have better hair than me, which is really annoying because we don't typically <laughs> Zoom. That's one of my Zoom rules with Cliff. I'm like, nobody can come on that has better curly hair than me. Um, but we, but I didn't even realize you were the guy until I was Googling you. I wanted you on because you've been really good on CNN and just really interesting and very no bullshit and taking on Trump with the stuff he's been saying. But last yeah. night I Googled and found out that Craig was either patient zero or close to it for the Ebola outbreak in New York in 2014 when you got back from Africa, helping with the crisis yep. there, and you caused quite a stir in New York City. Yes, indeed. Did you know? Quite a stir. I, I didn't tell, hear much about us. it. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was a little busy. Uh, I was in the process of feeling, yes, but 19 days in the hospital there. I was working in, in Guinea in West Africa taking care of Ebola patients. Um, and in the course of that, somehow, um, despite perfect adherence to PPA proto- PPE protocols, um, you know, taking care of really sick patients, many of which die, is in fact a dangerous, uh, a dangerous task. So at some point I got sick um, and I was treated in the U.S. Um, as you pointed out, and I think we, we shared this last night, um, at that point, uh, Trump certainly thought that I was not an impressive gentleman. He called me a selfish man um, for my activities in that time. And yeah, I spent 19 days in the hospital, and thankfully, so wait, you had Ebola. We're, so we're clear. Yes, yes, yes. Now, that is correct. I had. No, I just I mean, because because antibodies. yeah, because doesn't I mean doesn't Ebola have a 90 percent fatality rate? It's it's high. It's somewhere between 50, 70, 80 percent. It depends. But yeah, um, you know, in the U.S., when so treated, said, yes, it's, it's, it's so there's only like a one in two or yeah. two in three chance yeah. I die. So it's like the you know, flu. It wasn't that, it's it like wasn't the flu. Nine in ten. It's like the flu. It'll just go away. It didn't just go away. Don't worry about it. it, um, it wow. You know, it, it's interesting because you know we talk about even just like the flu. Um, you know, it's a thing that I've been looking at a lot now. Is that you know we have this dichotomy, and we'll get into COVID, but like this dichotomy between like you survive or you die. You know, ninety nine percent of people that get COVID survive. Yay, great. The problem is that we're seeing so many people, thousands and thousands of people, that have these long term continuing symptoms. And what I've been trying to um, highlight is the long term symptoms I had as an Ebola survivor. Because it's not just a COVID thing, it's a hmm. viral thing. Like if you get really right. sick with something, it goes throughout your body. And we've seen with COVID that it goes everywhere. It goes to your heart, your brain, I mean, every part of your body. The myocarditis stuff we're yeah. reading is right. just, it's frightening. And so, yeah. So my experience with Ebola and what we saw taking care of Ebola patients, hmm. those that were lucky enough to win the coin flip, is that many of them spent months, if not years, with lingering symptoms. So wow. we're trying to use that one as a platform to highlight the fact that 
COVID is not just a live or die dichotomy. There are people that are going to be continuing to live with right. symptoms long after this pandemic is gone because of their acute infection. And that's something that I, I learned the hard way yep. from, uh, from my, my bout with Ebola. You know, Can I, I say quickly, yeah, go ahead, Claire. Yeah. Well, no, I think this is really important, Craig. And I'm hoping, you know, voices like yours on this exact um, uh, part of the disease of, of this virus, but others that we can get your voice out there because what drives me nuts, and I'm just going to come out and say it and come clean and I don't care if I piss people off. Um, I went to, you know, I grew up in New York and I went to high school uh, there. And one of the, the biggest voices who is one of the, the uh, let's call him a truther when it comes to COVID right now is a guy I went to high school with. His name's Alex Berenson. You may have come across him on Twitter. Maybe you have. Maybe. He's a, <laughs> I have a lot of bad words I could say about him, and I'm probably going to say more of them in the future at, to him because I've known him for a long time. I haven't been in touch forever. But th- th- it's people like him who are willing to demagogue you know, and it's because yeah. they, they, they want to get sell books and do whatever they want to do that need this kind of response. Because all he does is sit there and point out, see, most, most kids don't die. See, nobody's dying. See, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. And it's the, long, it's, it's the long-term effects so much beyond who just lives and dies that needs to shut people like him the fuck up. Pardon my French, but yeah. it gets me angry. Because, you know, I've lost a cousin to this and who was older, but I did. And I know a number of people who've had it. And they're going to have things with them for the rest of their life. And he plays in those gray areas. So whatever we can do to get your voice out there, please. Well, you know? to be fair, it, it, I think he has, and it's not just him. I mean, um, after him and I had a, a kind of a little back and forth on just this topic uh, on Twitter, where he was kind of downplaying this, him and many others are basically saying, wow, wow, if you survive it, get over it. You know, there's not these long-term symptoms. It's a bunch of people that are just complaining and trying to continue this kind of this, this fear-demic of, of COVID. Um, and then a couple hours later, Laura Ingram uh, chipped in with, with her ideas, uh, asking for science, which I thought was interesting because she clearly has never asked for that before. Um, and so, yeah, I think this is just one of the, the further next steps. It's like when we try to highlight an issue that is in fact an issue, fact that people continue to have myocarditis, neurologic sequelae, Guillain-Barre syndrome. You know, there's like all these things that we're seeing that are linked to this virus. It's not because any of us wants to fear monger. It's not like I no. want to continue going on CNN or I want, you know what I want to do? I brew beer. I want to go back to brewing beer and spending time with my family. And then like watching a movie and reading a book. I'm reading the same book I picked up in person at the New York Public Library seven months ago. Um, okay, so you live in like New York. Talk about this, yeah. Your wife's from, from Cincinnati. I already thought, yeah. like, I liked you. And now you're brew beer, too? What is this, like, freaking, did you, did, you, did you read my bio? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that, was my, that was my initial goal. I'm going to go in and open a brewery, going to brew some beer. It's going to be great. Um, and then I got into public health and I wanted to work internationally, but, um, and and then, yeah, this is where I'm at teaching. And and I'll just, the one quick thing I'll say, and then kick to you, John, the reason I brought up Alex, uh, is he's more dangerous though, because Laura Ingram, we expect this garbage from, and granted they talk to the believers and that's bad, but you know, but Alex has the whole background of New York times reporter and all the kind of, you know, liberal institution stuff. So he can convince more people. And that's why. I, I, I love to have your voice out there. But in any case, I'll, I'll kick it to John or you. Craig, have you found, is this unique in terms of the amount of sort of disbelief or skeptics or anti-coronavirus t- people, anti-maskers, et cetera? Have you noticed this in medicine before to this degree? Yeah, no, what's interesting is that, you know, in 2014, 2015, when I was in West Africa, 
we heard a lot of the same stuff, right? We heard that this is a hoax. Um, it's a rumor that it's being used as a political tool. This is one of the most common retorts that we heard in West Africa. And I thought it was interesting then because here in the U.S., you know, we talked about kind of like ignorant Africans that couldn't quarantine for just a couple of weeks to get this under control in Monrovia or these people that, you know, aren't smart enough to recognize that this is a real disease or aren't willing to change their culture so that, you know, they don't have to go to burials where people are getting infected. And I think it's interesting because we're hearing all of the exact same things right now that we maligned and we denigrated others for just right. a few years ago. Um, and so I think the parallels are are so poignant. It reminds um, me of AIDS seen... in a- it reminds me of AIDS yeah, in Africa. Sure. Yeah. All Our the God... crazy stuff I'd worked on in the nineties. There were all sorts of crazy th- Okay, AIDS in Africa in the 90s. If you sleep with a virgin, it'll cure your AIDS. Oh God. No joke. No, that was one of the and that was one of the big no, problems I remember. because it then started spreading the virus more, but all sorts Even the of denial. In South Africa for sure, yeah. Yeah, all I mean, sorts it, of denial. It's still in the US, right? I mean, there's still I, I, you know, we can't accept we, we can't expect that 100% of people are going to be 100% knowledgeable of all these things, especially with something like COVID, right? In the past 6, 7, 8 months, we've had tens of thousands of papers that have come out had a bunch of interviews. We've had a bunch of experts emerge in a disease that no one is really an expert in. It's really hard for me as someone who basically commits my full time to this to process and sort and triage and see what is important. How does this change the trajectory? I can't imagine what it's like for kind of a, a, a passive consumer of news, someone that's on social media or scrolling New York Times or Fox News or whatever it is to get the right information. It's nearly impossible know who's an expert, who we should be listening to, what bit of information should undermine or overturn that long-held belief we've had for the past couple of weeks or past couple of months on something. Right. So I mean, the goal is we need, we need to recognize and we need to support public health experts who don't have an alternative agenda, right? Like I don't have an alternative agenda. I've made exactly zero dollars from the hundreds of hours that I've put into writing, going on programs like this. Like my goal is not to write a book. My goal is not to do any of that. You stuff. didn't get the payment from us? George Soros, the George Soros payment. You didn't get our George Soros money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we pay in George Soros bucks, actually. They have his face on it. I'm just kidding. I'll invest that in the future. No, no, no. Um, Anyways, the point being, like, there are people that clearly, as you pointed out, John, like, clearly have an agenda in this. Um, The goal is we have, you know, to, to trust and understand that there are institutions like the CDC, like the WHO, who have had an agenda for decades, and that agenda is to save lives, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. Do you trust CDC and FDA right now? Uh, This is tricky because um, do I think that there are tens of thousands of civil servants working at the CDC and the FDA that are doing their job and highlighting the science and doing really good work? Absolutely. Um, Do I have concerns with the way that the CDC and the FDA have been politicized over the past couple weeks and past couple months? Absolutely. I mean, think about what happened early on when I think it was um, Nancy Messonnier basically said, hey, schools might need to close. This is going to be tough in the coming months. And from that point on, CDC basically hasn't been in front of the public. Um, In the past few days, maybe we've seen uh, a little bit more pushback from Robert Redfield. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe people at the CDC or the FDA could could in mass um, resign one day, but that might be a news story for six hours or eight hours before Some right. other um, Trump will tweet something crazy, fire, yeah. and you know some other dumpster right. fire emerges. Um, right. But I, I, I trust the science. I trust the people doing the science at both those institutions. They are really great. They're committed. What I don't trust is kind of the political pressure that's being put on them right. by HHS, by Alex Azar, um, by 
um, Caputo, who just had a, a you know an inglorious exit. So it's I mean it's hard to say. You know, there's really good stuff that's coming out. What's going to happen in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, when we get a vaccine that comes out, is it going to be uh, influenced by uh, some political arm twisting? Yeah, <clears throat> a lot of us have that concern. Right. right. And I'll just say, I mean, I don't know if you have kids, um, but I having do. kids, you know, that, I mean, my wife and I have never felt like this before, which is, you know, we're, we're consumers of news, we, you know, and we follow everything, we're believers in science, and yet still, we don't always know what the right thing to do is for our kids. We don't, I mean, totally. it just, it, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a frightening feeling, right? I mean, you can't trust your own government and certainly, you know, unless we're going to have them guzzle bleach, you know, we're not trusting the guy at the top and what the hell he's saying. Uh, and I, again, I, I don't know how to put it better than I've never felt this way before. So much like I'm doing my best as a parent, but I don't even know if that's good enough. I'm trying to make the best decisions on yeah. whatever information I can find and, People it makes like me feel you. any better. I feel the exact same way. I just put my kid yeah. back into daycare yesterday and I'm like, I feel good about this. Like it needs right. to happen. I think for her and because we're in New York City where the test positivity is less than 1% and they've been open for six months and it's been okay. Right. But like, it's all of this is a gamble, right? And we should have that science. We should have that precedent being set up top. We should have, and we haven't talked about this a lot, but like we should have social media platforms that are being responsible as opposed to kind of highlighting that fringe. And the fringe may be the mistruths that come out of the president's mouth on a daily basis, but it's also you know, using that algorithm to, to push these peddlers of false information, these snake oil salesmen, these charlatans that are You're not giving- speaking about one social media platform in particular, are you? Um, I'm not I saying they all don't have it, but there is one that's worse. <laughs> I did write a New York Times opinion piece a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Seema Yasmin about one particular platform you may have heard of. No, I mean, to be honest, does it rhyme it, with Hasefuck? You, <laughs> you may have heard of it. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just like it's a disaster. I mean, it really is. And I'm not on Facebook. I got off of it in, in 2015. Um, but even you know what I see on on Twitter and on Instagram, like I get it. It's really hard for parents, or for people, or for public health officials, really, just to sift through all of this, try to get clear, consistent messaging. When that messaging is going to change, like. We, we've evolved on things that we didn't know or we thought we knew in March and April and May. It's our job to be really good communicators about that. But like, mm-hmm. I can go on CNN on a program that gets, you know, a million viewers, two million viewers a night, but then there can be a viral Facebook video that can be seen 20 million right. times in the span of 24 hours. Like, what am I going to do about that? Right. And we'll be back to our show in a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor via Cliff Schechter. Why, hello. And, and John, Cliff. guess what? Now that we've said goodbye to summer, it's time for things to get back to our everyday autumn groove. Ooh. The kids are back to school. I know, groovy. Everything is flavored with pumpkin spice. And before you know it, <laughs> the leaves will start changing color. With so much changing around us, it's increasingly difficult to find extra time for you. I, I definitely think that's correct. The time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes, and you can look 10 years younger. If my math's correct, by the way, that's a minute for every year. Uh, Plexiderm, <laughs> I'm very smart that way. Plexiderm is clinically studied, a clinically studied serum that gives you the appearance of the right kinds of changes, visibly reduced wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in minutes gone. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, those number 11s, John, and crow's yep. feet. Take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes, guys. The results will, be, will last for hours. You can take the family apple picking and looking your best the whole time. Even better, Plexiderm doesn't involve any visits to a surgeon and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you. 
and your friends. You can try a six application trial pack for $14.95 with a free shipping with, with free shipping, pardon me, when you visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a three-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, under-eye bags, number 11s, or whatever crap you have on your face disappear with Plexiderm. Visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout. John. Woo-woo. So our second sponsor, really briefly, bacteria and viruses live everywhere, Cliff. Your phone, earbuds, car keys, groceries, packages, wallet, even your face mask. Here. Sanit- your ears. Even sanitizing these items is an important part of staying safe and healthy, but it can also mean using harmful chemicals that constantly need to be replaced. The Clean Phone line of products changes all that. The Clean Phone brand offers a full range of sanitizing products that use ultraviolet light. This is the same technology used to sanitize hospital rooms and medical equipment. The Clean Phone products have been tested by independent laboratories and provide the best quality UV sanitizing for every need. The Clean Phone is a device designed for phones and household items. It even works as a wireless charger for your cell phone. And now, add the new Clean Phone Wand, my personal favorite, a portable handheld unit that can go anywhere and be used to sanitize tablets, computers, packages, groceries, and more. I'd like to try to sanitize my pet. That'd be kind of fun. Um, go to the New Deal shop. Good luck com- there. Well, she, she, folks, you know, don't call the ASPCA, please. I, I was just going to say, somebody tries it, it, the dog blows up, and we get exactly. sued, but it's okay. Uh, Let's be clear. Don't drink bleach, and don't sanitize your pet. Yeah, Go don't ahead. try this at home. Well, I mean, it's a wand, but you probably don't want to put it by your eyes. Uh, go to the NewDealShop.com to select the right clean phone products for you. Get free FedEx two-day shipping, and as an added bonus, get 10% off FDA-authorized respirator face masks. Go to the NewDealShop.com now. That's free FedEx two-day shipping, and a bonus 10% off FDA authorized respirator face masks at the new go there now and now back to dr craig spencer could you take us back to um march april new york city you're an er doc um you guys take us back to like right before the flood happened so you you're expecting you're 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 hearing dire predictions of what's going to happen with people coming in with covid uh but you're not seeing them yet what Take us through, like, did, did it all just happen in a week or two? Was it a month of slowly ramping mm-hmm. up to, to horrible? Or was it literally in a week or two you went, oh, my God, what's going on? I mean, what happened? Yeah. You know, was it March, by the uh, way, as well? Like, when was it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, so New York City's first case was March 1st. We knew that there was cases that were circulating before. And then I had written an right. op-ed, I think, in mid-February, like, ready to go to be like, all right, as soon as we get the first case in the next couple of days, I'm going to push this out. And right. it didn't happen for weeks. And so we were all kind of surprised. Um, in the Spencer household, it w- we were definitely a little more prepared than the others. My wife had kind of gone through this before. So she was a person at Trader Joe's in like early, mid-February with two big carts full of stuff. Like, haha. Is suckers. she a doctor? Not really get this. Or... No, but she's married just to a guy. Married to one. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I know. Ebola. Right, exactly. Yeah, We've been there. <laughs> and everyone's like, who is this crazy person? Um, we won. Yeah. Um, no, so, um, you know, at that time, like... I could, I was ready. I kind of, you know, I, uh, I had been listening to what was happening in, in China in January. I had friends of mine that were living in Beijing at that time that I was in touch with. And they were mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is crazy. This is weird. Like y'all should be prepared for this. Um, I started wearing a mask basically the whole time I was in the emergency room, um, mm-hmm. in February. And it wasn't to, until really early March that I think we saw kind of our first case in my emergency department uh, of COVID. And I remember there being this kind of like, 
kerfuffle and everyone a little skittish about like, okay, what do I wear a mask? What, what medicines can I give without right. worrying about nebulas? Like all that stuff, that the first time you see something that there had been protocols put out, but you were a little unsure of. Hmm. Um, I had worked with scary diseases before, so I, I felt a little bit more prepared. I felt comfortable in my personal protective equipment, but like most doctors don't wear N95s almost ever. And so right. getting everything on, making sure you feel comfortable right. that, that was tough for a lot of people. Um, but it was really within the span of like mid-March, I would say, from like 15th, 17th until the time of like the 24th, within that week, where it went from having one patient in the emergency room or knowing that one or two of them are likely COVID positive to trying to find the one or two people that weren't COVID positive. Hmm. Like there was a week of, of like massive turnover and it went from everyone was a little on edge, what's going to happen to sick patient coming in, sick patient coming in, sick patient hmm. coming in, sick patient coming in, getting intubated um, really, really quickly. Yeah. I mean, it was, I want to say overnight, but over the span of a few days and over that week, right, it, right. It, it basically flipped. Yeah. How do you deal as a doctor with the deaths? And um, let me, let, let me put a finer yeah. point on it. How do you, cause I've always wondered this about medicine. I'd thought of going into it, but it, it's one of the things that would have worried me was how do you stay dispassionate enough that the deaths don't burn you out, but not be so dispassionate that you're just kind of a yeah. bitch, <laughs> you know, that you're yeah. just this doctor who doesn't care. But if you care too much, I can't even imagine going through what you guys went through. You were talking on CNN about you had to do those Facebook or right. FaceTime, yeah, FaceTime videos with family members dying and things. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, pretty often, like that was something that we all had to do. He's not even in New York. He's got like a little tape recorder in the background. Honey, play the buses honking. <laughs> He's somewhere in Montana. <laughs> exactly at the ranch. <laughs> Get out the road. Um, and no, no, no. It's there's, you know, John, it's, it's not either or of those, right? Like there are times that deaths impact me much more than others and it may be within the same shift or kind of back to back uh, for a while i thought maybe having worked in west africa and seeing people die every single day from ebola during that maybe that in a sense desensitized me um, i don't know that it did because definitely during covid there were times when you know i was standing at the bedside of of someone and calling their family and basically saying like this is the prognosis having this really long discussion around what were his goals? What would he want? Right. Um, did you have these discussions beforehand? Like, what, what is this something that your father, your brother, your sister, your loved one, your worst enemy would want having these discussions? Um, and oftentimes the decision was to, to withdraw treatment. Um, and that meant turning off a ventilator and just right. standing by holding someone's hand for them to die. Um, and that's something we, we did uh, a lot. And, even just talking about it, obviously, it's, it's really unsettling. Um, and that's nothing compared to what it was like in the moment. Um, I don't think you get used to it, but then another one comes and you need to be prepared and another one comes and you need to be prepared. And so I think that we find a way to kind of mentally space that off. and Compartmentalize it because you have yeah, to, right? Yeah, but like, I, you know, at the end of shifts or, you know, my right. days off, colleagues of mine all over the city would call crying. Um, hmm. Because, you know, for a lot of people, this isn't what they thought they signed up for. You know, emergency medicine, we're there, we are, whatever happens, whatever you put anywhere in your body or whatever you fall from, we are there to help you. We're there to save lives. And for us, it was tough because we were standing by and, and, and watching lives right. pass. Um, that's not something we do. Yeah. 
let me ask you what you can do. Let me let me ask just real quick with that. How many deaths normally would you see in a week as an emergency ER doc? And how many were you seeing it? Oh, really? Maybe one. Oh wow! I think we're used to watching TV shows and thinking it's the emergency room. You're going to lose somebody every day. Well, it also depends which emergency room where where he is. Right. Exactly. Yeah, sure. If right. it's a, you know, if it's a level one trauma mm-hmm. stunner, if it's you know, places get right. gunshots, and or if it's in and yeah, for sure. I mean, I've worked in places in in East Africa in the middle of a civil conflict where I saw multiple people die. Right. right. Really in West Africa, multiple people die. But in in the U.S., no, it's hmm. pretty rare. Um, so how many again, were you it, seeing? How many would one doctor in your practice? How many people would one doctor in your practice see die in one week during the height of uh, of COVID in New York? Compared to the zero they Many, might normally see. Yeah, I mean, there were days where it was multiple. You know, yeah. I think one day there was five. One um, day. Yeah. yeah, and then you multiply Jesus. that out by however oh many God. days a week. Not to say every day it was five, but even if the next one was three and the other Oof. one was two, I mean, by the time sure. you're done wow. with a week, oh, God. wow. I mean, yeah, during, during yeah. the height of it, it was it was it was pretty rare to go into a shift and not have somebody die. Hmm. I just didn't realize you had such a minimum number of deaths. That's what surprises me. That the, 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 the I mean, we're good at what we It do. really was such a chasm. No, but that's yeah, great. But but no, but I think as a civilian or whatever, I guess I I I mistakenly think that doctors are used to people dying on them, and they don't have nearly yeah, as mean, much practice as or experience. Some kid putting a coin think. up their butt, or you know, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cliff, not that Cliff has any idea what that's about. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I never experimented yeah. in that way. I promise. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I really it's okay, Cliff. We all do. Um, you, know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you, know, the, you know the thing that we don't talk about. You know, like we think about this, is, and it's true in emergency medicine. You know, we get people that are really sick, and we stabilize them. That ultimately will die in the operating room, or will die up in intensive care unit hours or days later. Um, our job is really to stabilize and and get them to the point where they can get that definitive care. Um, but what we saw during COVID, in addition to all the deaths that we were having. Our EMS crews were going out every single day to dead on arrival, dead on arrival. And it's not, it wasn't just 80 year olds, it was 30 year olds, it was 50 year olds. Um, hmm. I remember one day a friend of mine tweeted what looked like lotto numbers. And he was like, these are, these are not, you know, lotto numbers. These are the ages of the five people that I saw dead today when hmm. I went into their apartment and nearly all of them were, were suspect COVID. Oh, um, in one apartment? No, no, and multiple, you know, during Oh, okay, a shift. Jesus. All right, yeah. Uh, but we did see that too. You know, that was one of the issues, right? Like there was multi-generational families um, in one apartment. So with one person got sick. Small quarters Other probably. people got sick and small quarters, yeah. Well, that, sure. that, that, that Italian family in Jersey, oh my God, that was early on. Remember like 19 members of the family got sick because they held some big family dinner or something the week before. The mother died. Yeah. Three of the children died. I mean, it was just horrific. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, so the death was yeah. horrific. Um, it was, I don't think anything that we got used to. And I think quite honestly, it scarred a generation of my colleagues hmm. um, that we, it, it created a lot of kind of mental burnout. Um, we had colleagues that died. Um, all I of saw us, that the infa- yeah. like there are one or two, infa- right? There are a few suicides even. I mean, it was yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, yeah. something positive, so to speak. Um, the death rate seems to be down significantly as a percentage, what do you call it? Is the morbidity, what do you call it? When the percentage of people who get sick who die? 
the case fatality rate. Case fatality rate seems to have gone down yeah. significantly in the U.S. We're still having a lot of deaths because we're having so many cases. But does this case mortality rate going down, the percentage of people who die who get sick, does that mean that even if we have another wave, which everyone expects in the fall, that maybe you won't get as inundated? Or is there still a lot of fear that you're going to get inundated, just like you were? Yeah, in I mean, it's right. I mean, it's it's hard to say. So you're right that we the, the likelihood of people dying um, from COVID because of our, you know, increasing knowledge about how to treat it, how to, you know, vent settings, about a couple other medications, the likelihood of dying has decreased, which is, I think is part of the reason that you're seeing fewer deaths from it, although we're still having over a thousand deaths a day for like nine straight weeks, which is pure craziness. Um, does, it, it's hard to, to know what's going to happen in the next couple of months. And it's hard to know how that's going to separate out, you know, cases from deaths, right? Like the cases can certainly spike up. We'd likely have fewer deaths in November than we did in March and April because we're better at treating the disease. I don't think that means that we're not gonna have uh, more deaths going forward. I unfortunately suspect that we'll continue to have a pretty high baseline of people dying yeah. from this until we have you know, measures to get this under control, until we have a vaccine, better therapeutics, and those are all in the works. Um, but. It's hard to say. I don't. I don't exactly know what's going to happen. My suspicion is that we're going to get more cases over, you know, starting in the next couple of weeks, and that's going to increase. We've seen, you know, with schools, as people are more indoors, campuses, and, as people yeah. are more indoors. Um, I suspect that those case numbers will increase. I expect that we'll continue to have a high level of deaths. Will that likely, you know, that that likelihood of dying from this continue to further decrease as we get better therapeutics, we get better knowledge on how to treat it? I think so, and I hope so, but I don't think that's going to be sufficient enough that we can save every single person who has severe COVID by any means. There's still going to be people that end up getting intubated that have really severe multi-system disease from this, and we're going to continue to right. die. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support. Why, hello. hello. And, and John, Cliff. guess what? Now that we've said goodbye to summer, it's time for things to get back to our everyday autumn groove. Ooh. The kids are back to school. I know, groovy. Everything is flavored with pumpkin spice. And before you know it, <laughs> the leaves will start changing color. With so much changing around us, it's increasingly difficult to find extra time for you. I, I definitely think that's correct. The time you need to take care of yourself and to look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes, and you can look 10 years younger. If my math's correct, by the way, that's a minute for every year. Amazing. Um, Plexiderm, <laughs> I'm very smart that way. Plexiderm is clinically studied, a clinically studied serum that gives you the appearance of the right kinds of changes, visibly reduced wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in minutes, gone. Plexiderm even works on laugh lines, those number 11s, John, and crow's yep. feet. Take up to 10 years off your appearance in less than 10 minutes, guys. The results will, be, will last for hours. You can take the family apple picking and looking your best the whole time. Even better, Plexiderm doesn't involve any visits to a surgeon and costs less than a round of pumpkin spice lattes for you and your friends. You can try a six application trial pack for $14.95 with a free shipping with, with free shipping, pardon me, when you visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES. This order also comes with free shipping and a 30-day money-back guarantee. Make those wrinkles, lines, under eye bags, number 11s, or whatever crap you have on your face disappear with Plexiderm. 
visit triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292 and say the code VOICES at checkout.